Thank you for joining us for this episode from AgriSafe Network. AgriSafe's mission is to support a growing network of trained agricultural health and safety professionals that assure access to preventative services for farm families and the agricultural community. National Farm Safety and Health Week 2021 was held from September 19th through the 25th. We hope that this episode helps you to improve the health and safety of the people who feed the world. The presentation today is going to talk about the uh, want to talk about the work we've been doing um, in Kentucky for the last couple of years, and the initial and it, work was actually funded uh, through a subaward from AgriSafe, for which we are very grateful uh, to have started our our work with that, with that, uh, with those startup funds, they were invaluable. But I'm going to talk about developing and implementing a pilot agricultural community suicide prevention program, specifically targeted for farmers and farm families. The problem as we see it is that um, farmer suicide in rural communities was for many years not even discussed. And even though the agriculture industry is considered one of the top occupations uh, that has among the highest percentage of deaths by suicide, uh, one of the issues, of course, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, is that um, obtaining data on these kinds of events are very difficult in any situation. And then when we have um, an industry that is in, you know, farming is by nature very hazardous. And it's, it, it's, it would be very difficult to tell if something was an event of self-harm or an actual accident, if that were, you know, an injury event, if that were actually um, the case. But key factors that contribute to these high rates um, of stress and therefore, you know, contributing to suicide include financial losses chronic illness or, or pain, a sense of work-life imbalance. It's very hard. You know, we've all heard that phrase, you know, when you work at home, you never leave your work. <laughs> um, and that's become true in the age of COVID for sure. But farmers and work on the farm have, has been in that situation um, since farming began. Physical and social barriers to access, to, that access mental health services are also a huge issue. Um, in, in sparse rural communities, both for um, physical lack of access, and there just aren't that many services, but social um, uh, stigma associated with seeking mental health service. Uh, I had a friend of mine who said she had to park her car all the way at the end of the street to go down to just get services at the local mental health clinic. Um, and I think that is very emblematic of the kind of stigma and issue that uh, smaller towns can experience. Ag communities and agricultural occupations are vulnerable to circumstances that really are out of their control. Unpredictable weather patterns, falling market prices, labor shortages, um, those uh, levels of uncertainty really contribute to high levels of stress. A 2008 study described the epidemiology of farm suicides in three Southeastern states over a nine year period um, from 1990 to 98. Over that period, there were 590 deaths related to suicide in the states of Kentucky, North Carolina, and South Carolina. That's, that's a high 
percentage um, and a high count attributable to suicide. In order for us to address the problem of um, rural suicide and, and farmer mental health, um, we were very fortunate, as I said, to um, be invited to submit um, as a subaward and an AgriSafe grant with the initial round of USDA funding that came out of the 2018 Farm Bill. And I don't have it in here in this presentation, but one of the big policy heroes in the current um, effort for farmer mental health is the 2018 Farm Bill. It was the first time the Farm Bill has ever contained funding for um, mental health services. And as any of us who have farms know, if it is in the Farm Bill, farmers and farm communities talk about it. It becomes topical. And so the, the idea that mental health services, mental health resources and tools um, and programs were being funded um, through the, the farm bill, uh, channel through USDA was an incredibly big deal. So a big shout out to the legislators and uh, those of us lobbying for that kind of legislation. We don't lobby, excuse me, informing people. <laughs> Um, uh, of the needs, um, that was a big deal of that 2018 Farm Bill. So our funding from AgriSafe through that initial USD funding um, was for us to train a group of trainers who would deliver QPR, suicide prevention trainings. QPR has been around for decades. Um, it was founded by Dr. Paul Quinette and it's a program out of Washington State. That's where it's anchored. Uh, and for years, it was a correspondence program where you got um, you know, materials as we used to in a big box. Uh, they now have online trainings. But this QPR uh, approach was really designed um, for lay people and community members to, to be part of the support network and help network for people who were at risk for suicide. Uh, we nominated, self-nominated from our network of um, our network in Kentucky with the, between the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Behavioral Health, those of us that have worked um, at the Southeast Center for some time. And we nominated 17 trainers from various farm connected groups, commodity groups, equipment dealers, farm safety trainers, teachers, ministers, rural health nurses. The idea here was that we really wanted to engage a group of trainers who have daily contact with actual farmers and farm families. We didn't really kind of want to go the agency route or um, you know, academic training route or so forth. We really wanted a community-based farmer-connected core. Um, this group of 17 obtained their credentials as QPR trainers. And each in exchange for our um, supporting, paying for the training, they had to provide two trainings to their constituent stakeholder groups. Um, from August 2020 to January 21, this past January, um, that group of 17 trained 415 persons from their constituent groups in that, in that period of time using materials that we customized for the farming community at the Southeast Ag Center. The um, QPR training is very good for helping people to be able to talk about a difficult topic, how to raise these questions, and for the final outcome of actually getting a person to treatment, getting them to a counselor, having them call a hotline, 
the refer piece is really an action-oriented piece. And this is one of the things we really liked about it actually. Um, but we wanted to customize the QPR training so that people that were going out to train would really present um, knowledge about the stressors that farmers face. And so we created sort of bookended the required community QPR training with ag uh, community uh, information about stressors uh, for both the occupational stressors, but also personal and family stressors that um, come about from working. And obviously sometimes usually someone working off the farm and having to come back and work a second shift. The goal of our program that as we sort of thought about it is, is that we really wanted to establish a community of practice. And um, this framework really appeals to me personally. I've used it before in other programming, but one of the most important things about the community of practice is it helps, it gives you three major ways, three components to look at as you're establishing your community of practice. It gives you ways to think about how the community is developing. And we'll talk about those stages in a minute, but the community of practice framework um, really creates uh, shared standards that are a basis for action, communication, problem solving, performance and accountability, all good things. If you're really trying to establish a community of work, this is sort of a work model. Um, but also the big thing about a community of practice is that it has, as added, it has at its core, the goal of community and sustainability. So, uh oh, <laughs> sorry. Using the community of practice framework, um, there are three key elements that every community of practice should be uh, negotiating. One is the notion of joint enterprise where you agree on the practice. And it, this is always evolving and negotiated, but you really want this shared commitment of joint enterprise. This is what we are doing. We are focusing on farmer mental health and suicide prevention. And we're gonna, we're, that is gonna be our practice. And we are gonna engage in that jointly as shared enterprise. The other key element that I really think is important in COP modeling is mutual engagement. These are social arrangements that define how the practice functions. So um, what does that mean? Oh geez, what does that mean? Um, these are talking about the, the social components of the community that will define how the practice is gonna be implemented. So for example, we, if you have equipment dealers or you have um, uh, members of the ministerium, so they're gonna have a very different social arrangement. A church operates very differently than an equipment dealer does. And they may have very different conversations that would define the practice slightly differently. Um, for example, um, at, at an equipment dealer, you may have conversations that are happening out in the equipment lot or over the, over the counter when someone comes in for parts or whatever, where at, um, uh, in a church, you might have these um, 
important conversations or issues come up, you know, at a, at, you know, after church, you know, at this, at the social hour. And I know those have been severely limited um, with COVID, but just the social arrangements of how the various people in these different communities um, define how the practice will actually play out. So mutual engagement is important, but it's, it's also something that customizes how the practice is implemented. The third element that I think is super important, and it really is in our situation with QPR, is the idea of a shared repertoire and what those mean, what those repertoires mean. Uh, and these are the artifacts, routines, styles that evolve the practice over time. So again, you know, that, that we're, we're communicating in groups with folks that are equipment dealers or with um, um, members of the ministerium, rural health nurses, um, ag professionals, extension agents, all of these people have been trained by us, but the shared repertoire really evolves over time when the equipment dealer shares how they are having QPR conversations with the minister, with the ag safety professional, so that we get a sense of how the practice is evolving. And this all becomes part of our shared repertoire of practice. This is a community of practice. We have practices and routines and even the artifacts. You know, what, what kinds of materials are you using? We've created an artifact at the Southeast Center in terms of enhancing this QPR training. Uh, we have flyers that are created to announce. It's interesting to see how differently um, the equipment dealers are announcing to their constituents their trainings uh, as opposed to rural health nurses, for example. But all of these uh, get shared among the group and these all become things that become part of our repertoire, part of our practice, how we do things, things that are in our, in our repertoire of tools and resources. For joint enterprise, um, we, one of the things we really have learned uh, has been very effective is the recognition of the need, the really unique needs of farmers and understanding and appreciating farm culture. Um, those of you that work with farmers know that I think generally it is, it is not uh, unusual to hear farmers that they feel very under, underappreciated for the work of farming and for the, the, the work that they do. Um, so focusing on farmer and family mental health, stress and suicide prevention was a focus, but it really had to recognize the unique needs of farmers and, under, and, a, and, a, and an appreciation of farm culture. Without that joint understanding, um, I don't think that we would have the network that has really been forming and growing. Mutual engagement, um, one of our uh, insights has been that these multiple approaches that have been pursued and, and funded, um, including this train the trainer program, which we did, but there's been the development of some professional development for healthcare and hotline workers on farm culture that's come out of this. Um, in particular, um, the Suicide Prevention Hotline in Kentucky, we are incredibly fortunate to have uh, a legislative appropriation that I'll speak about in a minute. 
but it has also helped upgrade our hotline services so that now any call in Kentucky is actually answered by someone on the hotline in Kentucky. And there's been training for those hotline workers, not only to ask on the intake form, this is huge, whether the person calling is a farmer or a member of a farm family, this should greatly improve our data on um, farmers in distress. But these hotline workers have also um, um, taken advantage of a training developed by Dr. Um, Susan Jones at Western Kentucky on farm culture. And um, as I said, in conjunction with upgrading the hotline services um, period, you know, some of you may know not all hotline services in every state are answered by people in that state. And um, that can cause some disruption in the caller feeling like somebody really understands um, their situation. Shared repertoire uh, and, and meaning. Products developed included this QPR for ad community, as I, as I mentioned, um, inclusion of farm connected identifiers on hotline call, the development of this farm culture. CRUSH is an acronym for um, culture, respect, understanding, um, and for farmer safety and health. Um, and it's really a kind of sensitivity training and understanding. And um, we've scheduled monthly research team meetings uh, that have kept us all uh, sharing um, this repertoire of work. Communities of practice are systems of collective critical inquiry and reflection. And so um, we really wanna always be reflecting on what we're doing, inquiring as to the current direction and really deeply reflecting on whether our focus is staying on, on track. And we, I think, gather sort of a collective intelligence over time. Um, defining needs for continued evolution of the model uh, we were developing really helped people think about the arc of suicide prevention, which includes, uh, of suicide prevention practice, which includes prevention uh, and intervention and postvention, you know, lost teams for people that have had um, suicides in their families and so forth. Um, but we're really trying to develop a community of practice on this arc of suicide um, events in the prevention, intervention, and postvention stage. So again, as I mentioned, our work continues with funding from two legislative appropriations. Um, continuing education support from our, our Ag Center and the Kentucky Department of Agriculture. I can't believe I have to let my dog out of this room. I'm so sorry, folks. I really apologize. There are stages that have been defined by Wenger and Lave, who developed the original community of practice framework and work done by Maker uh, in 2008. Um, these stages include um, the potential for a community that is defining need, um, trying to identify um, other elements and communities that might be involved in your community of practice. Coalesce, coalescing, which is moving, um, moving toward practices, 
um, convening the right groups, uh, engaging people who may, may not have originally been in your group, but building that community as it coalesces. Um, stewardship is defined as maintaining the community. Um, and then transforming is really letting go of whatever community you've developed. Hopefully it is sustained, it's engaged, it's part of the community and um, you can move on to other things. As a community moves from these stages, members start building trust, exploring opportunities, and there will be an increase of energy and more focused goals and outcomes. I can really attest to this um, idea of movement along these stages. Um, in the two years that we've been at this, or it's coming up on three years actually, that we've been at this since the original AgriSafe grant in 2018-19, there have been um, just increased energy uh, all the way from the legislative support um, that we've been so fortunate to have. We have a champion in our legislature, uh, Representative Brandon Reed, who has championed this cause, um, amazingly sits on the appropriation committee, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. But as we have gone through these stages where we have this loose network of people with similar issues and needs, you know, starting back at 2018, farmer mental health has been something people know is problematic, but not something most farmers or farm families were willing to talk about. Um, and then discovering this common ground and preparing for community was something that was happening really right there with the farm bill. And I think in 2017, 2018, people were starting to become very concerned about farming communities, mental health, um, lack of services, how could farmers be better served? And conversations were starting to happen in farm groups, in farm credit groups, uh, farm bureau, uh, various commodity groups. I have to give a shout out to Mr. Dave Maples, who heads up our Cattlemen's Association here in Kentucky, who was one of the first people to when we do our needs assessment conversations each year, one of the first people to tell us back in 2016, 17, I'm getting a lot of calls about depressed farmers and farm families that are really worried. So this is a relatively new phenomenon, but we're, you know, this, so this, this potential um, between uh, the potential for need for a community and then it starts coalescing and coming together. And this was definitely one of the things that came out of the AgriSafe funding was, uh, and the 2018 Farm Bill. Members start coming together and there's this notion that we need to build a group. We need to build a community that has the, as its central practice, addressing farmer mental health, and in our case, suicide through QPR. Uh, the community starts taking charge of its practice and it grows, um, set standards, define a learning agenda and deal with growth. I will say um, setting the standards were not that difficult. Obviously we had um, a program in our case with QPR. Uh, we had a, a definite learning agenda for this training. And then we would follow up at the Southeast Ag Center with uh, several debriefing uh, groups uh, to prepare our trainers with the materials, we would go over them with them. Um, we would typically either pair 
uh, them with a more experienced trainer, you know, as folks got experience or, or Carolyn Oldham and myself uh, would, would, if people were going out for their first trainings and they wanted to, they needed some support, we would do those trainings with them. But um, the dealing with growth is, I'll be honest, is something what we're doing right now is really trying to understand. Uh, we've got, we had 17 trainers who did two trainings a piece, and now we have 20, 40 more trained as part of the second appropriation. And they are on their way past, they're past training another 300 people. So there's a lot of growth going on, a lot of energy going on. And um, we're trying to really um, make sure that we convene monthly meetings and think about like, what, where are the gaps? Where are the directions that we need to go? Um, and we're not really here that if I had to define where we are, I, I think we're in this sort of stage of development of a maturing COP. I mean, definitely becoming more established, but I'm not sure we're really in cycles, educating novices and finding voice and gaining influence. But I, I think that's going to be evolving over time. Um, and we're absolutely not to this, this end of things. I think this is a useful thing when you're thinking about, um, do I have a problem that for which a community of practice and, and bringing together these various constituent groups would be a really reasonable solution? And, and this, is, this is an important question down here for this discovering common ground and preparing for community. Um, because once you get on the route of, or the road of a community of practice, you really are bringing together a lot of folks that have shared interests, but disparate practices themselves. So um, coming up with standards, training, setting agendas, um, all become very part, uh, very important as your community matures. And I would say this is sort of where we are in Kentucky um, with this effort. Um, Challenges going forward, you know, as I said, setting standards and bounded practice is, it's, it's important, you know, um, one of the things that we're challenged with, um, which has really just sort of happened in the last couple months, is that um, this dealing with growth, uh, for example, you know, the whole first cohort of trainers uh, did their tr two trainings, and some of them are coming back and saying, we want to do more trainings. You know, do we need to be engaged with you all um, at the Southeast Ag Center? Uh, uh, we are collecting data. We have a research project. That's one of the questions we have for them. Do you still want to be involved in our research? That's something for them to consider. Um, and what is our relationship to our core team and the funded activities we have? Um, uh, Dealing uh, and modifications. I mean, we really have our our program, but um, if it, what if someone decides they want to modify that? I mean, how do we deal with that? Um, and in what ways do, do we want them? Do we want to say no? You can't do that. You know, we're just become coming into those kind of decisions that we have to make, and based on conversations that we're going to have to have with our with our um, constituents, with our community of practice. Um, dealing with shared repertoire and evolving practices. Um, how should people share uh, what they are doing? Um, I was I observed at a, a an, um, senior 
high school senior FFA QPR. Um, this is last year when they were still in school, but that was a very different experience. QPR allows for kids that age to engage in a QPR training. Um, but it really got me to thinking, you know, should we have, in what ways should we be modifying this for um, more youthful groups? And uh, fortunately for us, or unfortunately, I'm not sure, but COVID intervened. So school was closed for so long, we didn't really have to deal with it. But we've, this is, this conversation, you know, has reopened on our end. And I'm sure we'll be working with our friends in, in FFA and, um, you know, to really have that conversation with them. Uh, because certainly children um, and families that are in distress know what's going on and very possibly they don't know how to talk about things for sure. And so we're really kind of wrestling, wrestling with that. Um, uh, defining a coherent agenda and direction for practice is exactly what I'm mentioning here. You know, do we, do we want to develop youth, um, engage youth in a more systematic way? Um, uh, one other thing in terms of um, developing this community, uh, at the end of last year, last May, we got together our, our cohort of 17 initial trainers and a few from the newly trained cohort of 40 trainers and had sort of a, a conference where we uh, gave them a two-day assist training, which is another intervention uh, for suicide prevention that's more detailed and um, in a lot of ways, I think um, even preferable to QPR in terms of being more strategic about action. Um, but so in terms of agenda and direction for practice, one of the things we talked with that group about by way of sort of using them as a focus group for us is, is assist training something we should be adding to our shared repertoire of tools as we, as we um, train folks in QPR, should we also be thinking about um, cohorts of those people who would want to go on and get assist trainings because it might be more appropriate for their settings and so forth? Uh, we really are with, at this dealing with growth stage. And because it's been quite successful, uh, we've trained over you know, 700 individuals in the community who now are people that we deal with and that we interact with. And um, uh, so, and they're talking to the people who trained them um, and suggesting trainings. And, and so growth is a good thing. I'm not complaining about it, but it, but it, it really does um, inspire us to really be thinking about uh, that, that development of that life trajectory of a community of practice and how we would like this community to mature and how we would like, um, like it to, to, to move forward. Um, we've really settled on our commitment to ongoing and active discourse as these practices evolve. You know, that's the one thing we're sure of, if we can be sure of anything, <laughs> is that um, practices will evolve and some of those will be um, innovative. Some of those will be strategic in terms of the population and groups they're serving. And some of those I'm quite sure will suggest to us ways that we need to really make some changes that we just hadn't anticipated um, at the beginning of the development of, of this COP. 
Um, sorry. Um, that's what I had to present for today. Um, I see. The AgriSafe team would like to thank you for listening to this episode. We hope that you learned something new. We would also like to thank our National Farm Safety and Health Week sponsors for making all this possible. The 2021 National Farm Safety Health Week sponsors are the Ag Health Central State Center for Agricultural Safety and Health, High Plains Intermountain Center, for Agricultural Health and Safety, the Northeast Center for Occupational Health and Safety, and the Southwest Center for Agricultural Health, Injury Prevention, and Education. We appreciate these organizations' generosity and dedication in helping us to make the National Farm Safety and Health Week webinars possible. To access the resources and full recording of this webinar, please visit AgriSafe Learning Lab, which can be found at agrisafe.org.